Man, well, I am grateful uh, that I can be here with you all today. There's some weeks I'm showing up ready to go. Some weeks I'm just here. I mean, this is one of those weeks I'm just here. And so I'm, I'm grateful uh, that I'm here with you all. Uh, I had some of those weeks back during the online worship days when I showed up and I'm like, I don't have anything to give, and I'm talking to a camera, and I can't even see you all, and those were some of the hardest uh, Sundays I've ever had in being a pastor, but the good thing about being here together with you all in person is that um, when, when some of us show up and maybe we feel a little down or a little empty, uh, we can be filled up by the community, and that there's a, there's a powerful energy that I feel, and, and I think it's a mystical spiritual thing that's happening when we come together, that God's spirit is moving in a unique way when we come together. And God's Spirit's with you when you're by yourself at your house or out in the woods or wherever. You don't have to be in community to experience God's Spirit, but I do think God's Spirit moves in a unique way when we are together. And so uh, my, my hope and prayer is that those of us who are maybe uh, just struggling a bit, maybe, maybe limping into church a little bit this morning, that we could leave feeling a little more encouraged after we spend some time together. So I have uh, just a little bit to share with you all today. Um, we're going to continue on in our series that we've been in, looking at the book of 1 Peter. And I've been asking every week if y'all remember the book, and people are like, 1 Peter, so I think y'all remember it, so I don't, I don't have to quiz you all this week. Um, but we've been, uh, this will be five weeks we've been in the book of 1 Peter, and you've probably noticed a lot of themes as we've gone through it. Um, I've looked at all the lectionary texts for 1 Peter, and I think maybe almost all of them mention suffering. They mention people going through hard times and facing challenges. And it's felt particularly relevant to me as I've kind of been facing some challenges myself, and I know many of you all have as well. And so hopefully this book is speaking a word of encouragement to you, and it can be kind of a practical man manual for us as we try to figure out how we stay close to God and keep following Jesus in the midst of hard times. And so today, um, I just got a little bit to share, and uh, hopefully it can uh, encourage or challenge you all this morning. You know, I remember a conversation I had with some folks back when I was in college. I went to school down in Florida at a school called Palm Beach Atlantic University. And I don't know about for you all, if, if you attended college, or, or maybe you're just in kind of that age range of being a young adult. Um, back when I was kind of I graduated high school, was trying to figure things out in life. I remember having just lots of deep conversations with folks, and I was questioning a lot back then. Um, I still question a lot today, but back then I was really just looking around at the world and trying to make sense of things. I'm like, this is what I've been taught growing up, and I'm not sure if all this is true, trying to make sense of what's going on around me. I started noticing and seeing just a lot of bad stuff in the world and trying to find out where God is in the midst of all of it. And we would often sit around in college and just talk about hard stuff. We would talk about um, the challenges that we're seeing. We'd talk about our doubts that we're having and, and trying to find God in the midst of it. And I remember one time, um, it's funny that there's some conversations I remember very specifically from years ago. I don't know if y'all have things like that where for some reason something just stuck with you. And this is one of those conversations. We were talking about the state of Christianity in America. And we were particularly talking about how non-Christians think about Christians. And for the past few years, research has shown similar results. And they've just recently even done more research and surveys on this. But non-Christians in America often have very negative views of Christians and of Christianity. 
And it's not usually because of our beliefs. It's because of our actions and kind of the way we, tr- mainly how we treat people in the world. And, and Christians don't have a wonderful track record. Um, Non-Christians in America, I remember a survey that was done a few years back, and it stuck with me, and I always remember these top three results. But they ask Christ- non-Christians what they thought about Christians. And, and the top three answers that people gave, number one was that they are judgmental. Christians can be judgmental, right? Number two was that Christians are hypocrites. And then the third thing was that Christians hate gay people. And those were the top three results that were given on this survey. And, and it doesn't honestly surprise me, but, but it's sad, right? This is not how I want uh, Christians, uh, us Christians to be defined out in the world. Um, but there's reasons why people think these things. You know, when we were in college, we were talking about all this, and we were lamenting kind of, we were starting to see that often what we label Christian doesn't actually resemble Christ very much. You know, they, people talk a lot, we can't take Christ out of Christmas, right? And people get all upset about that. Um, I think we should back it up because I think what's really happened is we've taken Christ out of Christianity, and we've created a religion that, that often doesn't resemble Christ, our Jesus, and it's hard to have a Christianity without Christ. In college, I learned a quote from Gandhi, who was not a Christian, but had a lot of respect for Jesus, and and, in many ways, his life resembled Jesus more than than most people um, who've walked this planet. But Gandhi said that I like your Christ, not your Christians. (laughs) And he had a good point because he he was treated very poorly by a lot of Christians throughout his life, but he saw in Jesus something that was really inspiring and beautiful and wonderful. And so in this particular conversation, I remember one of our friends just pondering out loud. They're like, man, what if Christians were known out there in the world as the people who helped others? Just that they were known as good people who helped others. What if Christians were known for doing good and making a positive impact and difference in our world. I think this is the kind of mentality that Peter had in mind as he was seeking to guide these young Christians in his letter. In in our text for today, it begins with these words. He says to these young Christians who are experiencing a lot of suffering, he says, y'all, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, this seems to be what Peter's doing is asking a rhetorical question here. And he's trying to make a point. That if you seek the good of your neighbors, if you try to help others, then you are less likely to have folks thinking bad about you or potentially even trying to hurt you. Now, I want you all to remember that Peter was writing to people who were marginalized. He was not writing to the people in power. He was writing to specifically people who were being mistreated by those around them. And this seems to be kind of practical advice to some degree. He's saying, y'all, like, if you do good to others, then you're probably going to be hated a little less. It's kind of like, don't be a jerk. Don't lie to people. Don't steal from them. Don't hate on people. You're going to have an easier time getting along with others in this harsh world if you don't bring extra trouble upon yourself. See, Julie's shaking her head. She's a high school teacher. She's probably having to tell young people these things a lot. Like, hey, don't make it even harder for yourself, all right? 
I remember when I was uh, in, in, college, or in high school, there was this kid we knew, and he was just not a very nice person, and he was very rude to people. He was just not kind to them. He said, talked about people behind their back, and, and I remember one day he was lamenting that he didn't have any friends, and, and one of my friends said to him, like, man, like, if you want to have some friends, you might want to try to treat people with respect sometimes and, like, be a friend first. And that's like just practical advice, right? But even deeper than that practical advice, I think Peter is tapping in to what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this harsh and struggling world. To be a follower of Jesus is to be eager to do good. Isn't that what Jesus was all about, right? Jesus was eager to do good. He didn't just haphazardly do good for folks. He was eager to do it. He was intentional about it. And he was trying to truly reach out to others and do good for them. To follow Jesus means that we do good for others, that we are eager to do good. If you read the Greek that this language or this text was originally written in, it actually reads that we are to be zealots of the good. Now, I don't know if you know the word zealot, but it's kind of an intense word, and I imagine the translators, many of them, are like, eh, it's not very, we don't use that word as much in our culture today. But a zealot, if you don't know what a zealot is, a zealot is someone who is eager to perform an action or, or is enthusiastic about a cause. To be a zealot means you kind of give everything to something. You are intentional about it. If you are a zealot for a particular cause, then you are going to organize around that cause. You're going to try to be strategic about how to move this cause forward that you are passionate about. And so to be a zealot of the good means that you are enthusiastic about doing good for other people. That you are committed to doing good for others. It's about being intentional and purposeful for doing good in our communities. Dennis Edwards, who's a biblical scholar and pastor, he makes the point that being a zealot of the good is different than just performing random acts of kindness for people. Now, I think Christians in America, we're often fairly good at doing random acts of kindness for people, which we need those. Random act of kindness is like, you know, someone comes to your place of employment And you just treat them with a lot of love and respect, you know, and you're just extra kind to them. You go out of your way to help them. It's maybe uh, getting a hotel room for somebody who you see who's been sleeping on the street. You get them a room for the night. Maybe it's delivering a meal to, to somebody who just had a baby and you're like, they need a little bit of extra support. And so you deliver some food for them. Could be writing an encouraging note to a friend. All these random acts of kindness are very important. And Christians are often pretty good at this kind of stuff. But he points out that being a zealot of the good is really more about being very intentional about seeking the peace and the welfare of our community around us. And that's what Peter was really getting at when he's saying to be zealots of the good. He's talking about all that, your community around you, they may be harsh towards you. They may not think good things of you. But I want y'all to actively and intentionally work for the good of the community around you. And Dennis Edwards says, as a pastor, I found it helpful not only to encourage the random acts, but also help create deliberate efforts for good. 
And this is often when we talk. We've talked at our church about the difference between charity work and justice work. Charity work is, is doing the, you know, raising money for, for a disaster. It's, it's coming alongside someone who's going through a crisis. It's, it's providing clothes to people who need clothes. All that is so important. But justice work is about getting at root causes and really being more intentional about trying to work towards lasting change so that we create true peace and shalom and justice in our communities. And Peter figured, it seems, that if these Christians, these early Christians, truly sought and pursued the good of their neighbors, then they would be more likely to survive and they would also attract others to the gospel. And even more so, they would be living in a way that honored and resembled Christ. Now, our church, I am proud to say, and this is not because of me, this is because of our church, all of you all. We have been very intentional and purposeful, I believe, about pursuing the good of our community. And we've got a long way to go, but, but you all have really engaged in a lot of important work. And many folks in our neighborhood are actually grateful that our church is here. We've had non-Christians uh, visit our church on Sundays or at the gathering on Mondays or mentor during the week at Common Good. Many of these folks who don't identify uh, as part of the Christian faith have still said, we're glad you all are here because y'all are making an impact and you are reaching out and doing good work. They've expressed excitement even about what we're doing. People stop by all the time, and, and Rachel and Christina can confirm this, and they say, Hey, someone told me to come to Embrace to get help because they said that good people are here and that y'all will help them. Sometimes it's other churches telling people to come here. They're like, y'all go to Embrace because they'll help you out. Or y'all to go to Embrace because I remember, I'll never forget, a teacher at Arlington uh, was saying to, talking to a kid or something about church, and the kid said, hey, you should go to Embrace because they'll take anybody over there. And, and I'll never forget that story. It's, it's great. It's going to go down in like legend. Um, but, but I'm glad to say that, that we will take anybody over here at our church. Um, and so people know that. And so I, I just want to pause for a moment and just thank you all for being zealots of the good, right? Because you are people who have really tried to be intentional about pursuing the good of our community and reaching out to others and truly being a place that, that is known for good work that is known for trying to make a positive impact in our community. And we have made mistakes, and we've not always got it right, and we still don't get it right all the time, and we have so much work to do. But I'm happy and grateful that you all are seeking this and want this for our church. But we all know, um, and Peter knew as well, that often doing good does not guarantee that people are going to accept you. Doing good and trying to seek positive change in your community does not mean that people are always going to be happy for you or going to even refrain from trying to hurt you. Sometimes the opposite actually can happen. Sometimes doing good will actually result in hardship and opposition. And Peter understood this. I once knew a pastor who told me repeatedly, he said, no good deed goes unpunished. And now I think he could have been exaggerating a little bit because... That's a, a very negative way of viewing it, things, but I do think that there's a lot of truth there that when we pursue something good in our world or in our community or in our own lives even, often there can be negative backlash towards that. And really the story of, of 
of the, really the history of our world is making positive change, and then there's often a strong and sometimes even more uh, strong backlash to that positive change. So this is the story of living in this world, right? Peter goes on to say, he says, but, so he's saying, hey, be zealous of the good. People aren't going to harm you as much probably if you're trying to seek good for them, all right? So this is a method of survival, but also identifying with Jesus because that's what he was about. But then he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you will be blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so Peter challenges these early Christians to be eager to do good in their communities which could then actually bring about hostility against them. It could also bring about questions about why they're living the way that they live. And when they ask, Peter essentially tells them, hey, be prepared to give an answer for why you have this hope, why you are pursuing the good of others even when they are trying to hurt you. And be prepared to tell them who Jesus was and why you follow him. And when you give your answer, be gentle and be respectful in the way that you do it. You know, I've known Christians who have been targeted and harassed because they were zealots of the good, because they were seeking peace and justice for their neighbors and in their communities, and that resulted in actually being targeted and harassed and and bullied even for that kind of good kind of living in this world. And even as these folks were targeted and harassed, some of these folks I know still responded with gentleness and kindness, honoring Christ and the way they dealt with those who opposed them. You know, I believe in America today, if you can expect oppositions from all sides, if you start following Jesus to the margins, if you seek the good of those in society that have been labeled as unworthy or unlovable or not welcome, you will get opposition for that. And I've experienced that personally, and I know others in our community that have experienced way more intensely than I have. You will get opposition from the conservatives and for the progressives and everybody in between. Because frankly, our society, uh, we like to have people that we push to the side. And we say they're not lovable, they're not welcome, and we just keep them at an arm's length. But when you start placing them at the center and saying this is who we are here to serve and accompany in their journeys to freedom and justice, you're going to f- experience opposition. It will happen. A while back, Pastor Tanya was preaching a sermon a few months back and. She was talking about, in her sermon, about the backlash that she heard and experienced in some community meetings that she was a part of when the Lexington Rescue Mission was wanting to move into a community that was near downtown. And and if you don't know the Lexington Rescue Mission, uh, we have folks here who work at the mission, um, who have been a part of there as volunteers. They do a lot of good work in trying to serve and love uh, those who who often are kind of neglected and pushed to the side and intentionally kept down in our society and, and they were trying to pursue this property in this community near downtown uh, to, to have as a place where people could come and get counseling and therapy and all the support that they might need in their lives. And residents of that neighborhood came out, uh, not many in support, but many came out in strong opposition 
to the rescue mission because they didn't want a ministry in their community that was working with people experiencing addiction and homelessness. They respected their work as long as it was in another neighborhood, but not if it was in their neighborhood. And we've experienced this even at our church, people in opposition because we reach out to folks who who are living on the streets or, or don't run people off if they just need a safe place to hang out for a little while. And, and, and so this is the kind of mentality that Peter would certainly not uh, agree with and would certainly recognize this is going to bring some opposition if you continue to reach out. And, and, and what I was amazed by, and Tanya mentioned this as well in her sermon, but that the rescue mission leadership, I, I read and heard some interviews and some, uh, saw some video footage even of those forums that took place that they still... Uh, they stood up and defended their work, right? They were ready to give a defense, like Peter said. They were ready and they were there, but they still did it with even a gentleness and a kindness, even as they faced that harsh opposition and slander. In his letter, Peter is casting a vision here, I believe, of Christians coming together to eagerly and intentionally engage the world around him. He's not calling Christians to remove themselves from the world around them and create a tight bubble where they never interact with people different than them. No, he's calling them actually get out there and intentionally engage with people and work together for the common good of the community is around you. And from whatever position you have in society, most of the people he was writing to had no position of power, But I believe we need to bring this mentality into the halls of power, into the classroom, into the factories and the places of employment on the street corners, out into the the hills and the hollers in eastern Kentucky. All the people working together to pursue the common good of those in our communities. And many folks will appreciate the good work. I've seen it with my own eyes. When we do good work, there are many people who want to be a part of it. And I've seen people come to know Jesus as a result of that because they've seen the good work that is being done. And that's a beautiful thing. However, we also need to keep our eyes wide open and know that people will oppose that good work. People will slander that good work. And people will even seek to harm Christians as they stand up for peace and justice. But regardless, Peter challenges these Christians to keep doing what is right and good anyway because we follow Jesus And Jesus is our model. And so here's a good question just to consider this morning. How are you involved in deliberate efforts for good in our community today? We could talk specifically our community right here or our broader Lexington community or the community in Kentucky. And you may, I know many of you all do a lot of good things for people in your day-to-day lives. But I want you all to think also a little deeper and think about how are you involved in deliberate efforts to really seek the common good in our community today. And thankfully, there are so many good organizations that we're connected to, so many people who are engaged in really important work to truly try to see shalom in our communities. And so I want you all to think about it. If you're like, I don't really know, then talk to us and let's work together. Talk to me. Talk to Christina. Talk to Rachel or Pastor Tanya or other leaders in this church. And and we would love to, to, to discern with you about how you can get more involved and really work together Uh, to see um, just beautiful things happen around us. I want to close with just one of my favorite verses, and and this is something I come back to on a regular basis. It's from Galatians 6-9. And this is ultimately, I think, what Peter was discussing. This is Paul who writes this, but they were 
on the same wavelength uh, in many ways. But Paul says this to this community in, in Galatia. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so for those of you, I know, I know some of you are actively engaged in really important and good work in your jobs or in your, your free time. And, and I know you're probably experiencing a lot of opposition right now. And you're feeling like you're not making any progress. You're feeling like your work is just kind of throwing stuff into the wind and nothing's happening. And I want to encourage you all to keep moving, to keep working. And I do believe that the seeds that we plant, that God can work, God's spirit can work to help those seeds grow into something meaningful and something beautiful. The parable of the mustard seed, Laura's heard me talk about it way too many times uh, over the years, but it, it has really been an inspiration to me. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And if you've ever seen a mustard seed, my dad had a jar of mustard seeds once he used as a sermon illustration. And he said there were like a million mustard seeds in there. I don't know if that was true or not, but it was like a lot in one jar because they're so tiny. You know, they're so tiny. And, and Jesus said that that's the, what the kingdom of God is like. It's, the, it's something small, but when you plant it in the ground and you water it and you care for it, then, then God's spirit is moving under the ground and helps that seed to grow into something big and something that actually does make a difference and says even provides shelter for birds who come and need to find a place to build their nest. And so I do believe that our work that we're doing and that you all are doing are sowing seeds, and they may seem small and insignificant, but I do believe, and I'm, I'm trying to hold on to hope um, that, that God is working and is going to help those seeds grow into something beautiful. And, and something that's going to make an impact. And, and we've seen it if we look back over long periods of time, we can see how this happens. But we have to be friends of time if we're going to truly see God's work come to fruition in our lives. We have to be friends of time, and we have to recognize that small things truly do matter. So let us not grow weary in doing good, for at that proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.